Hi, I'm Carrie Adams and you're listening to Carrie's Corner. Here we talk to the movers and shakers, the drinkers, the dreamers, the people who make it happen in the liquor industry around the world. So, let's get sipping. Well, guys, today in the studio or on the line with me from Cape Town, I have got Jeff Greer, who is part of the family who own Valera Wines, with which we are all incredibly familiar. Jeff, thanks so much for joining me on Carrie's Corner. It's a pleasure, Carrie. It's, it's great to be on your program again. Thank you. I know. It's been quite a while. Hey, Jeff, you and and Simon started Valera yourselves. I was always falsely under the impression that it had been your dad who started Valera. What made you and Simon buy Valera in the first place? Okay, it can be a long story, but I'll start with uh, the fact that our family was actually in poultry, and I actually went to Stellenbosch University to to study poultry science and uh, realized that there weren't many people intending to do that in those days, so I would have been the only one in, in that year in, in in the class of poultry science. So I thought, okay, I'd rather do viticulture and enology. And so I trained myself in viticulture and enology. And my cousin Simon, he sort of followed a year after. And he thought, well, you know, if I'm doing that, he's going to do the same. So uh, we ended up getting trained in, in viti and enology. Okay. And uh, so then I went and got experience and... Uh, I spent some time overseas. I spent some time at Delheim with Kevin Arnold and Spud Sperling. Yes. And uh, after about three years of uh, of um, learning the ropes, uh, Valera came onto the market, and it was a, a farm close to our family poultry business. Yes. And um, we decided to buy it, and uh, yeah, we we bought a small a small uh, vineyard here at Valera, and we expanded it by adding on over the years and uh, mm. ultimately we built up a, a reasonable sized business. And, a reasonable uh, sized business. My, it's one of the <laughs> biggest wine farms and one of the biggest, most unbelievable producers in the Cape. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Gary. But yeah, so I mean, Simon uh, basically was also trained at that time uh, and uh, we dovetailed perfectly because he was more interested in the vineyard side of things and, uh, I was always keen on the wine side. Mm. So together we actually formed a a good team. And uh, as you know, I have a sister who uh, uh, was really keen on wine and interested yeah. in the, in the marketing side of things. So she she heads up our marketing. Of course, darling Kath. And now, exactly. is her son going to be involved? Tell me about the children now. The next generation, whose kids are doing what on the farm? So uh, um, the one guy from the next generation who really showed an interest in winemaking was Zander Greer. Mm. He is uh, Simon's brother's son. In other words, my cousin's son. Yes. Um, and this is the cousin who um, does quite a lot of this adventure running and uh, yes. basically uh, raises money for Miles for Smiles. Uh, but he's also a, a chef and... Uh, and a sort of a, a general. Uh, and he's um, a gorgeous child. I'm so 
I'm saving up a special podcast hour for Alexander because he's just such a special boy. So we'll do all of that. Yeah. But he's working with you and, and Simon in so the winery. Yeah, so so he, he qualified as a as a winemaker. He did a BSc degree and then he he got experience overseas and also in the Himmel and Arda Valley. And he mm. joined us in 2017. And uh, he's he's actually taking over the responsibility of... Uh, um, sparkling wine from me, plus uh, you know reserve wines and a few other wines. But um, uh, he's gonna he's gonna basically take over the, the cellar master role from it's me. Fantastic uh, for you because you know yeah. I was chatting the other day. I don't know if it was Michael Fridjon or Christine Rudman. It was somebody from my sort of generation, my era. And it's so important that we have people to pass this baton on to. You know, we all need to start doing that and sitting back yeah. and enjoying. The fruits of what we've all put in and watching the kids or the next generation do their That's thing. It's, it's fantastic that you've got kids in your family yeah. and your boys, your boys don't want to do it. Yeah. So, um, you know, I've got two kids. I've got a, a son and a daughter and I think um, you had two boys. Okay. Good. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, they, they, uh, are pretty decently qualified and they, uh, Decided to go off as most of the youngsters do overseas to uh, to get some experience and see the world and so on. And uh, they've actually ended up in in London at the moment. Mm, all our kids are in South London. Africa, I think. And they all kind of intend to uh, eventually come back. But uh, my son, in the meantime, got married. And uh, oh wow! Congratulations! That's lady, and I became a grandfather during the COVID. Jeff, you period. never told me that. Congratulations! That's wonderful. And because they live in London, I've hardly seen my granddaughter, but uh, oh. we uh, have made a plan for December this year. But anyway, he's, he's uh, in financial services. He, he actually did a master's in international business. I know. He's I'm, one of those propeller heads, like all of he you. He could careers. also play a role in the, in the wine business eventually. And my daughter, you know, she's, she's an accountant, and so she um, also has a decent job in London. Yes. So they're there for the, you know, for the medium term. Yes. Uh, you know, they, they, they might come back to South Africa, but I've never really pressurized them to come in. They, no, we can't. They must want to come in. Yes. Uh, but uh, interestingly enough, uh, we, I mean, we, we talk about succession planning all the time. Uh, this morning we actually had a meeting because one of Simon's sons, um, he's also a CA, but he's actually not interested in going that route. He wants to... Uh, potentially come into the business. Good. And uh, we, we actually did a, a whole exercise today where we tried to identify the role of a, of a general manager, which, which he could be interested in. Mm. Um, so he's been involved in the process of identifying that role and working out to what extent he's enthusiastic Fantastic. about it. But we are working on it, and uh, we basically um, making quite a lot of progress in terms of um, taking this business into a fourth generation because our decision to do that happened about uh, five years ago where all family members plus next generation family members all agreed that this was what we wanted to do as a family. Brilliant. And, uh, that's uh, that's the plan. So mm. not anywhere, it's staying and it will stay in family hands. Well, you have, you know, your generation has really laid the groundwork and started the tapestry, which is Valera. And yeah. I don't think it really needs too much of an introduction because Valera has, and I've always said it, 
for me, it's one of the most successful brands in the country because you absolutely always know what you're getting when you buy something from Valera. Somehow, your family has managed to be the sort of SABS of the wine industry. It's If it's got the Valera stamp on it, you know that it passes all the tests, it ticks all the boxes. It over-delivers on quality and price in almost every single category that you make. And that's not to say that Valera only makes good value for money wines. I mean, you've got some super expensive wines that are punching up there with the very, very best. But even at that level, the pricing that you attach to your wine is somehow just so brilliant. I don't know how you've managed to get it right. Where did you come from with this brilliant sort of value for money in across the board? Everything from from your little down-to-earth white and red, which is, I think, possibly your entry level. You can correct me there. Right up to your sort of top single vineyards and, and your beautiful bubblies, which we'll talk about. Everything over delivers on quality for the price. How do you make money like that? Well, Kerry, firstly, thanks for all those positive comments. Yeah, the down-to-earth is our entry level, but, you know, we we started in the, in the 80s when, uh, you know, when it was important to uh, to have something that suited every palate that walked in here. Mm. And, um, you know, we only had a local market. Yes. And so, you know, focusing on, on one category was a little bit more tricky. Uh, but uh, we also, uh, um, you know, we managed to grow the business to a level where, you know, you do need to have different price points, including some good value uh, yeah. products. And, um, you know, we've always believed that uh, that you've got to over-deliver in every category. Mm. But we've also uh, come from that era where, you know, if you sold everything at a at a high price, uh, you wouldn't have stayed in business. So <laughs> we had to have we had to have wines that uh, that offered real daily drinking value at uh, at the one end. Mm. And um, you know, more recently, we've been adding on, um, you know, a blockbuster or yes. know, top quality wines. Uh, to satisfy the demand for um, wines at that level, yeah. um, and um, it's uh, it's a fine balancing act because you know companies get known for one thing or the other, and hardly ever for both. Yes, and uh, so you know our branding at the top end is a little different, but I think uh, you you basically highlighted the fact that whichever price category we we, we get involved in, uh, people still believe that we're offering value. Yeah, because so you do. It's a fantastic, right. yeah, yeah. It's a fantastic um, marketing ploy that I'm not sure how you, and you don't have to share all your secrets, but you definitely did get it right. Jeff, you are sort of synonymous with Kapla Seek. You make fantastic bubbles. Very few celebrations happen in South Africa without a bottle of, of Valera tradition somewhere in the mix. Was it your first love when you were at university? How come? How did you fall into into Cup Classique? Well, that's a good question. It, it was not something uh, that I ever had in mind while I was young in university and so on. It was, uh, and even at home, you know, my 
My uh, father was a bit of a francophile. He actually trained at the hotel school in Switzerland. Oh, and, really? Uh, Gosh. And so we drank, we drank wine at home uh, as a French family would, you know, from a mm. young age. Mm. But uh, we never really drank bubbly in those days. And um, so we, we, got, we bought Valera in 83, and uh, we were sort of working out, uh, you know, what, we were going to focus on which which category would be the one that we could hang our hat on and uh, say this is what we're going to be mostly known for and uh, we wanted to do something different and um, we had the good fortune of uh, of having a, a, a young French uh, champagne producer walking in mm. at the end of 83 and uh, you know we sort of greeted each other and uh, and uh, Jean-Louis Denois said to us that, uh, you know, he's a bit surprised that we don't make more bottle fermented bubbly in South Africa. And, you know, he had actually done an internship in 1980 at Bojendal. And uh, he had uh, suggested or he had given him the idea of uh, de Noir in those days. Mm, mm. And um, so... Uh, he came back in 83 because he loved South Africa so much and he was now looking for a place where he could uh, provide technical know-how and he wanted to get involved with somebody and uh, and he said, you know, South Africa is the perfect place to make decent bottle fermented bubbly and he's got all the, the information handed down from father to son mm. and um, he was prepared to part with that knowledge in return for a you know, for some sort of uh, financial reimbursement. And uh, so in that two-hour period that we spent with him, the day we met him, we shared a couple of bottles of wine. And you know how it goes in the wine business when you when you share wine and uh, you start chatting. All and, kinds uh, of dreams and unfold, and yeah. Like each other after <laughs> two bottles or two hours, all kinds of dreams unfold. So we said, uh, Jean-Louis, Let's uh, let's start something here. This sounds like uh, the kind of dream project that uh, that we've been looking for, and uh, you know, so right there and then we agreed on a on a sort of a royalty agreement, which meant that we only really had to invest in paying for his knowledge after we started selling. It was clever. So up front, there was no investment. Uh, up front, um, I had the opportunity to visit Champagne for three vintages in a row to learn oh. the ropes there. And he also sourced all the equipment required, gave us all the knowledge, and came out every vintage. Uh, and and this was a this was a ten year agreement that we extended to fifteen years. It's amazing. And, uh, and we actually um, became good friends in the process. And also in the process, his father, you know, basically decided. Uh, that he wanted to retire and he was going to pass the farm down to uh, to three children, which included Jean-Louis. But his brother and sister weren't interested. So what happened was that um, he would have had to buy them out and mm. he couldn't afford it. So his father actually sold the business and Jean-Louis ended up going to the south of France where he started a, a bubbly operation in Limoux. Yes. And I used to visit him there and we discovered the, the beauty of the south of France and we ended up buying a a vineyard there, as you know. I was going to talk so to you that, about that because that that's a little with, uh, gem. Yeah, that connection with Jean-Louis Denois has been a strand that's run right through my 
wine making career yes. and my wine making life and yes. uh, it's been it's quite it's been quite an exciting element and to think that uh you know it all started when I was like twenty six years old in it's amazing yeah, yeah it's it's brilliant to have that sort of um association with somebody and to have it last so happily for as long as it has. Yeah, uh, and you know, once I got into it, uh, Babli became my, my passion. And uh, the beauty of Babli is that it, it relies much more on the winemaker than any other one. You know, we always say wine is made in the vineyard, but with Babli, there's much more involvement from a winemaker because of the, uh, the blending and the second fermentation and yeah. uh, all of that. So the wine spends more time with you, but there's also a hell of a lot more tasting and decisions to make and uh, equipment involved and technology involved. Yeah. So it's, 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 a, it's a more technical process. And, it's, uh, and of course, uh, you know, the finished product is always associated with... Uh, Fun with and, and celebration, yeah. Fun and celebrations and all those best moments, you know. Yeah, well, I've always said that I love the art and craft of wine, I think, more than anything else, because it is really, it, it should have formed part, and it was a large part of the arts and crafts movement, actually. But the, the art and craft of bubbly is next level for me in my head when it comes to winemaking making bubbly is definitely a huge expression of the art and craft of winemaking it's very specialized and and you can make a terrible bugger up if you're not careful absolutely you really can can be expensive mistakes that happen <laughs> you have just honestly made such accessible delicious bubbles well, they're accessible via price uh, more than anything else. And then when you taste them, you just know that you want more. I've always said your your tradition rosé, Valera tradition rosé and salmon mousse from Woolies. You know those little salmon pate things? <laughs> yeah. It's the best. It's heaven. Uh, absolutely. No, mm. I mean, uh, you know, we started with the tradition and, uh, you know, uh, people – People know us for all the things you've mentioned earlier, but uh, not many people realize that uh, every single, just about every single bubbly category, we were, we, we, we actually made the first product yes. in that category. So like, you know, Simon Sikh obviously made the first Cup Classique, but yes. we were the first to do a sort of a French joint venture, and, mm. uh, and then we had our Valera tradition. We were the first to do a, a rosé non-vintage yes. in 1987. Yes, and then we were the first to do a prestige cuvee, which was vintaged uh, in 1993. Yes, and then we were the first to do a um, a, a brute natural, uh, a brute natural, which mm -hmm. also doubled up as a as a um, sulfur free and blanc de blanc. So yes, uh, there were other blanc de blancs on the market, but we came out with the idea of of doing a um, a brute zero or brute natural mm. sulfur blanc to blanc. Yeah, and then uh, that was in '98, and then in uh, and then we we stuck with those four products for quite a while, and then um, when the trend towards slightly lighter wines um, started to uh, stick its neck out, uh, we started to make a uh, light cup classique in 2013 called Starlight, which is actually a nice growth category in our That's range. That's gorgeous. So we make it at under 10, so it's slightly lighter, mm. 
Mm. And it coincides with the, with the big trend in the sort of uh, uh, recent, the last 10, 15 years um, towards a, a healthier lifestyle, you know. Yes, and, uh, yes. Starlight has actually been quite a nice little uh, category for us. It's fabulous. I put it onto yeah. everybody's diet. Yeah. So everybody who comes and says to me, what should I be drinking? I'm on diet and I don't want to give up. Well, Starlight Bubbly is the first sort of go-to, isn't it? Yeah. Low in alcohol, low in sugar. Yeah. Mm. And the new trend, uh, you know, if you look overseas, you'll you'll see these, um, you know, they've always had the grand mark. And then uh, they now talk about the great growers. And this is an attempt to get champagne more terroir-based and, you know, and also the, the environmental issues play a role in some of those that grow wines. Mm, mm. And, um, you know, things like Jacques Salas and so on. And uh, that is a category that uh, we've been working on for a while with uh, um, Amphora and stuff like that. So, okay. you know, watch this space, but uh, mm. it's, uh, it's, a, it's a new... Uh, a small volume thing, but it's uh, it's going to be uh, an interesting direction oh, for another product. And you've but, also made uh, you've also made some interesting varietals from the farm. Like you made a Riesling, you've made a Gewurztraminer, and then recently, what I love about Valera is that there's always something new that pops its head out of Valera, and it's always delicious, and it's always. As I say, you just know that you can go and find it. It's always available. Except that your ducky wine, what's it called? Aftakwein, or what's it called? <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's actually a really interesting wine because, uh, you know, in the south of France, we discovered uh, a whole new category of fortified wine. Oh, and I love it. And, uh, you know, they, they make them in the Rivesalt and in Bandules, mm, mm. which is in the Cote de area. So anyway, we we discovered uh, you know fortified white that gets um, stuck in jars outside. So it's basically influenced by the elements, the yeah. heat, the wind, the rain, uh, you know, the temperature variations. But it also gets stuck in jars that are sort of half full. Mm. So you get like a sherification and a matterization of the wine, Oof, which yum. starts off as a white port. And so you get this sort of savory, nutty. Um, um, Port style mm. wine that uh, really offers great uh, compatibility oh, with cheese and so on. No, it's gorgeous. No, but, you just uh, but you know, the, the other area where we've been involved is um, is is uh, trying to nurture some old blocks. You know, we we, we have four accredited uh, old heritage block vineyards, mm. which are you know they carry the old heritage block seal and everything and. Uh, and one of them, I mean, we have a, a, a Sauvignon, a Shannon, and a, and a, a, a Pinotage, but we also have a Gamay Noir. So we planted Gamay, you know, in the early days for a nouveau style, mm. which never really took off in South Africa. Now we're yeah. making a serious Grand Cru style Gamay oh, wow. from an old block, 35-year-old plus block of Gamay, which is under our standalone uh, Sub range. Oh, really? And uh, so that that's actually uh, attracting quite a lot of interest. So yeah, those are the, the things that we that we that we have little gems that we. That I know. We don't I love the way you play with them. them away and, uh, yeah, and you know, lose them. So I mean, this is uh, 
something that you really can't find elsewhere in the South African wine industry. No. And um, I mean, if you if you read the international press, you'll see that uh, Beaujolais is making a bit of a comeback on the serious end of, of mm. Beaujolais, not on the nouveau side. You know. Mm, mm. Well, and, uh, if anybody, I just wanted to quickly say that if anybody's just joined us now. Um, I'm actually chatting to Jeff Greer from Valera Wines and, and there's just so much to chat about. And we've been chatting about champagne and the bubbly and the, and the method cup classique that he makes. Before we stop speaking about method cup classique, Jeff, um, recently there was a big shock horror announcement from Russia about what champagne should be called or whether France would be allowed to be called calling it champagne. What was the story from Russia? Did you get involved in that? No, I wasn't involved in it, but uh, but I have uh, seen some articles on it. And, uh, you know, Mr. Putin decided that uh, <laughs> only Russian sparkling wine can be called champagne. <laughs> Where did he and come champagne. from with that? <laughs> and champagne uh, had to be called something else. No, but uh, recently I read that... Uh, uh, champagne could still mention champagne on the label, but uh, it's not uh, as visible as it used to be. Oh, really? And because I heard that he'd retracted it. Retracted what? He'd retracted his sort of, um, what's the word, his his um, argument that, that the champenoise could not call it champagne. I think uh, it w- he might have retracted part of it, so I think he allows them to still mention it. But on the but, basis uh, of what I thought that champagne was the home of champagne. No, of course it is, and uh, so, but, you know only in Russia. It's not. Uh, it's not something that uh, any other government uh, would do. Yes, and, uh, champagne is the home of champagne, and champagne is is a region in France. Uh, so why was he saying so they may not use it? Yeah, it's uh, didn't make any sense at all. It doesn't make any sense, but the. the point is that people in Champagne sell a lot of Champagne in Russia. Yes. So they're obliging, you know, they're changing their labels to suit him. I couldn't believe my ears when I heard that. I mean, you know, we live with a, we live in this crazy, terribly, terribly politically correct woke world. But for goodness sake, when the tail starts wagging the dog to that extent, somebody has to step in and say, up with this, we cannot put, you know, it really is too much. Jeff, when was it that you pushed off and went and bought yourself this magnificent little vineyard or these vineyards in Roussillon because you've done so well and those wines are in Woolies and I know loads and loads of people who listen and watch and whatever love the Valera wines that or the Domaine Greer wines that are coming from the south of France. Tell us a little bit about that quickly. Okay, in, in, uh, in, in about the year 2000 when I was with Jean-Louis we discovered the the beauty of that part of the world and the, and the terroir uh, capable of making some great wines and also the fact that uh, it was a bit off the beaten track and sort of affordable. So, yeah. you know, I said to Jean-Louis at that time that, you know, if a, if a, an appropriate uh, economically viable size of vineyard came onto the market, I'd be interested. And Christmas 2005, he phoned me. I was on holiday at Stanford. And he said there's a 25-hectare block that some guy wants to, um, oh, wants to sell. And uh, so I actually flew over in January just before our harvest. Yeah. 
and uh, you know took photos, met a girl that was willing to uh, to do the, the 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 conversion of the of the grapes into wine. And so we we bought the vineyard. We bought a, a, a sort of a, a, a rustic cellar. And You've shown me photographs. Little, it's not rustic. It's beautiful. <laughs> it's absolutely gorgeous. And we, <laughs> and, we, and we embarked on the project in 2006. And uh, yeah, so it's it's uh, it's been a fun project. I've. I've been the guy who's had to suffer and go there two or three times a year. I know, it's year. tough. Hey? I don't know how come you ever came no. back. If it was me, I would never, ever have come back. I know for a fact that my, my family down in the Midlands of Natal, my sister lives on Domain Greer, and you've got about – you've. I don't know if they get everything in the Midlands. We're going to have to see about all of that. Maybe we're going to have to try and shove you into our, into our little Biz News digital wine shop. Um, so that yeah. we can send your domain Greer everywhere. But yeah. you make you make a absolutely delicious Grenache Noir. You make a rosé, which is beautiful. You also make a bubbly there. Yeah. So we, um, you know, we intended to make uh, mainly red wine. Mm. But of course, if you're in the south of France, you have to make a rosé. And yeah. uh, the winemaker that I eventually employed in 2009. He said he'll work for me under one condition, and that is if he's allowed to uh, do a rosé. And Aww. it actually turned out to be our biggest uh, seller. It's gorgeous. But of course, at that at that time, you know, he was he was a competent uh, winemaker. So at that time, we decided that uh, being bubbly producers in South Africa, we had to do a, a bubbly. Now, just to the north of our area is a place called Limu, which is the, the second biggest Appalachian for bubbly outside of Champagne in France. Oh, really? Okay. And just to the south of us is uh, Cava in Spain, which is obviously the Spanish yeah. bubbly area. So we like sandwich between two bubbly areas. Mm. And, uh, you know, we decided to do a crossover between, you know, the French Champagne style and the, and the Spanish style. So yeah. We we use Chardonnay because we we had to buy a block of Chardonnay to add to our vineyards there to provide the fruit for the bubbly. Yeah. And then we and then we had Macabre, which is the same variety as Macabio that they use in the Cava wines in Spain. It's a Catalan variety, and that Catalan region actually extends into France. And there's a lot of macabre grown in the in the French Catalonian area. It's delicious. You so bottle you make, bottle a macabre as well from Domaine yeah, Grey, don't also, you? Yeah, we also bottle a macabre. Mm. So we have this uh, um, Chardonnay macabre blend, which is a sort of a French Cava crossover. And yeah, it's it's it's, uh, it's an interesting bubbly, and it suits the region, and it expresses the. Uh, the terroir and it, and it, and most of it sells in the region, but we do bring some of it here. You are just amazing. Your family is amazing. If I had a father who had a couple of vineyards and, as you say, a shabby little rustic spot in the south of France, there's no ways that I would be living in London pressing calculators and what have you. But be that as it may, I'm sure that your kids will. Um, well, thank you one day for all of it. Sure but Jeff, <laughs> everything you touch turns to perfect. Your labeling is gorgeous. I love the way you fly under the radar. I love your natural, calm, collected approach to the whole thing. You are such a successful businessman. You're such a successful winemaker. 
we're really lucky to have a Jeff Greer and co in our midst. So on this bubbly, bubbly day, which is World Champagne Day, let's tell everybody to rush out and buy a bottle of tradition. What would be your, you just, you can have two, you can have two, two of your favorite bubblies from your, from your little, um, collection of champagnes at Villiers. What should they buy? Kerry, uh, I my favourite is Munro Brut. We put the most effort in there, and it's a selection of our best blocks. And there's a time factor involved. And you know, bubbly or cup classique is perfected by time. Mm. So time on lease is important. So I love the rich uh, uh, yeasty flavours that come from uh, more time on the lease. So Munro mm. Brut is, is probably my favourite. And um, yeah, so as as an alternative to that, uh, you know, if you're just in a light-hearted mood and, uh, as you say, it's sunset and you've got a bit of smoked salmon somewhere nearby or or black mussels or whatever, mm. uh, I would say maybe the traditional rosé because uh, those give you two totally different options and uh, you can't go wrong with... Uh, I was going to say the rosé as well. I think we should definitely have a bottle of Munro because it's just sexy, classy, gorgeous bubbles in a bottle. But if we're going to be doing this evening around South Africa, everybody's got to have a bottle of at least tradition rosé, a plate of oysters. That rosé tastes like it tastes like the smell in the packet the day after my sister and I had raided my granny's marshmallow, pink marshmallows. And it's sort of, it's not strong, but there's this delicate aroma on that rosé for me of those gorgeous pink marshmallows. And it's soft, frothy, foamy pink mousse in your mouth. It is just gorgeous. So I think that's my my treat and my tip for today. Everybody has got to rush out and get at least one bottle of tradition rosé to celebrate this fantastic World Champagne Day. Jeff. Thank you so much for everything you do for the South African wine industry and for the South African wine drinker. We are forever in your debt. Thanks so much, Kerry. And uh, without people like you, we would be nothing. So uh, thank you for all you do. Such a because, pleasure. Uh, it's important that the word gets spread. And, uh, yeah. Big some time. of us are very bold. Some of us are a little bit shyer. So we need people like you to voice all of that. Thank you so oh, much. It's a pleasure. Some of us, like the Greers, are way too humble for what their actual achievements are, but it's just part of why we love you like we do. So thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Carrie. Have a good weekend. Cheers. Okay, thank you. Bye. Bye.